Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to American Pale Males, your nerdy beer tasting podcast. Though it's not so nerdy anymore. Well, hold on to your pants. Okay, <laughs> we're trying to fix that though. We're we're working uh, on it. I am Michael, one of your hosts, and with me is it's me, Jeremy. We're here for another episode. We are. We're past the Sumerian series, but I suspect we may or may not be past the summer-ish beers quite yet. So hit me with the beer brag, brother. So my beer brag is a follow-up to what we've been talking about for the last two weeks, because I had a brute IPA. Yes, good man. You sent me a picture of this, and I was jealous because I can't find them around here. Yeah, they're out there, but it's kind of hit or miss at this point. They're not consistently out there, I guess you could say. True. So this beer was called Future Tense, and it's from Working Draft Beer. I think they're beer brewery or beer. In any case, um, this is a brew IPA, and it's called Future Tense Chapter 2. So I think this is their second time making this. (laughs) It is uh, 6.7% ABV. And this is the first Brute IPA made in Wisconsin. Oh, cool. Filtered. Filtered. Crystal clear. Fresh fruit aromas like white grape, strawberry, and ripe apples, which I really didn't get. Its effervescence and dry finish is reminiscent of Brute Champagne. So this was very interesting. Right? Yeah. So so weird. With that first drink, you're really trying to like grab onto some sort of malt, something, anything, sweetness, backbone and it's just not there it's, it's, it's like really not it's like wily e. coyote like running off the uh <laughs> edge of a cliff and like hovering there for a few seconds smashing into the wall where the, the <laughs> hole was painted yes but what is there is that like you said that smash of hops at the end yeah it's it's so weird but even though there's not the malt there to support it it still has a good mouthfeel it's like they say it's very effervescent i didn't get much of the fruit tones they were talking about in the taste aroma but just the overall package is still obviously a beer even though the malt part of the equation isn't there Mm -hmm. the weird thing is at first i really didn't like it because i thought it was pretty bitter because that's you don't have anything to hang your hat on it's true you just get that smack of hops at the end i will say it was kind of a clean bitter finish which was nice but it was just a little too bitter but when it warmed up, it really turned around for me there to the go. point where I was really enjoying it because then I could taste the flavor hops and not just the bittering hops. And those flavor hops were excellent. And it just turned the whole thing around for me. And I ended up really enjoying it. I think this is a great hop delivery vehicle mm-hmm. and uh, really puts the hops on showcase with nothing really hindering them, but still being supported in other ways. So it's not just like, I don't know, noshing on some hop oil or something like that. Yeah. Um, how effervescent was yours? It was pretty effervescent. Was it um, was it fizzy like a fizzy water sort of fizzy? Almost, yeah. Okay. I would say just maybe like a step below that. Um, it was in a crawler, mm-hmm. so maybe that, you know, that secondary vessel might have taken that down a little bit, but it's definitely fizzier than your average IPA or any beer for that matter Mm -hmm. did you find it to taste like a white wine at all was it did it have a dry finish definitely a dry finish um i would still say like even like a dry champagne or a dry wine still has some like of that grapey Mm -hmm. tones to it maybe not necessarily a sweetness but some fruitiness and um 
So I was kind of expecting that just because of the name, but that's for me, that really wasn't there. So, hmm. um, but kind of the, the way it cuts off at the end after you swallow it, like one of those wines or champagnes would do that. I could see the similarity there. Just kind of like right after you swallow it, the plug is pulled. You get a little bit lingering hot bitterness, but pretty much after that, everything's gone. Interesting. So yeah, it's, it's very interesting. It's very different, unique. Again, I think we've said this before. If there's one around from a reputable brewery, it's I think it's worth trying for sure. God, yes. I think I know a few select people who would really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael, I can outweird you. All right. On your you on your beard. Uh, so I had a uh, cousin and grubs of the show in town this past weekend. They brought okay. their their fine boys, and uh, as they are wont to do. They brought me some fancy pants beer from the great city of Chicago. Mm. Michael, what's the weirdest adjunct you can think of in a beer? Um, oregano? List me off some weird ones. That one we had sage that one time. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess I'm kind of in the herby domain. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, that's where my mind is at right now. I'm assuming this blows those out of the water, though. I had never heard of one of these before, and... Uh, Steve of the show was also over here hanging out and partaking of the fine ales. Uh, so he can back me up on this one. Now, this is a Goza that we had. It is from Pipeworks okay. Brewing in Chicago, which uh, made Ninja vs. Unicorn. I believe we did that one on the show? That is correct. Okay. This is dollar sign L Ray, dollar sign Hour. Okay. Which is just a stylized version of saying Cell Ray Sour. And uh, pdubs.net lists this as salty and sour goza brewed with celery seed and celery juice. Oh man, that is weird. Have you ever heard of a beer with celery in it? No, definitely not. I've had a goza with cucumber in it, but Mm -hmm. that is a little more natural, I guess you could say. I don't know, a little more traditional. I, I, I mean, I suppose so because there's also like a cucumber kolsch I've had, which was very good. But celery. Celery. It's... Does it work? I think so. So okay. Grubs of the show was not a fan. She had heard was heard to remark, "You spent money on this." <laughs> okay. <laughs> Somewhat angrily, um, but the salty gozes are really weird. Have you had any yeah. like this? Yeah. Yes, I've had a. I believe it was actually a cucumber one, not in Florida once. Are goze? Um, do you know if gozes are supposed to be salty? I believe they are traditionally. Okay. The celery works really, really well, and I think that's a testament to how well the base beer is crafted. Uh, the The saltiness comes in hot and hard at the end of the beer, but it's it also has, I mean, I guess it's celery juice and celery seed. I think the seed gives it a little bit of a earthy flavor. I was going to say, that's, that's usually in like a vegetable soup or something yeah. like that. It definitely tastes like like celery, but not in a a weird raw vegetal state. It's okay. I think the balance between the salt and the celery juice and the seed really works in this one. I don't know if it, I could have more than one at a time because uh, even splitting it between myself, Steve, it was you know it was a little much, but I did enjoy it quite a what, bit. What um. Was it just a real light color? Very much so, yes. It was a uh, almost like a pancake, like a really like light pancake color. Okay, okay. There's um, there's an IHOP hmm. commercial on TV. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> okay. 
I or Denny's. Sorry, 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 everyone. It was Denny's. My apologies. <laughs> Correction. It was uh-huh. Denny's. Corrections. Um, it was Denny's. Did this come in? Was it a growler can it was a bottle? Sixteen ounce. Sixteen ounce. Oh, yeah. like a tall boy? Uh-huh. Or? Yeah. Huh. So I wonder if there's wider distribution on that. I I don't think so. Um. Yeah, it seems a little niche for a uh, let's ship it across state lines kind of deal. Yeah. But. So like I'm. Um, the only place it's available is uh, in the dojo. I think that's uh, uh, the dojo is a store, not a tap room, located within our production facility in Chicago. Um, the beers on, available at the dojo are for off-premises consumption only. Means oh okay. So I assume it. So they have like pineapple bling, golden ale brewed with pineapple and a splash of lime, smoked agave goza. You know, just things like this. Uh, All-natural milk stout brewed with chocolate, vanilla, strawberries, and lactose. Things of that nature. Just weird crap that I imagine is one-off or like, oh, hey, we have these extra cans laying around. Let's use them. Hmm. It was very good. I I really enjoyed that beer. I don't know how much Steve enjoyed it because he's not a a huge fan of sours in the first place. But So so, So what was that? I know... Gozas usually have a sour element to it. Did this one have any sourness to it? Very much so. Okay, so um, salty, sour, celery. <laughs> yeah, a lot of zzz in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting. But it worked out really well, and I kind of want to get more. It's it's one it's one of those freak show beers where I'm like, oh hey, yes, I, yeah. I I want to like show this to people and like see reactions to it. Right. But measure the eyebrow raisedness. That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> is it one eyebrow? Is it both eyebrows? But I'm not going to be out there for another ten weeks, so okay. uh, who I don't know if it'll still be there at the time. You're right. Yeah, with something like that, maybe limited. But anyway, that's enough of that, Michael. You have things to tell me, events, yes. and so on. I was a reporter in a blazer. <laughs> uh. <laughs> investigative journalist, perhaps. Yes, investigative journalist. Uh, that's yeah. it. Um. I went to a beer event in the area. I was at Wisconsin Brewing Company's Depth Charge event. Is this the video you sent me? Yes. Okay. So this this video is on the YouTube account of the main event of this gathering. So I've talked about Depth Charge before. Mm -hmm. I had last year's release around Christmas time, and I beer bragged about it. Mm -hmm. The main event of the event... God, that's so redundant. The main event of the uh, thing I went there to see for? Yes. Is they take this big cage, for lack of a better word, full of granite stones, and it's cooked over a fire for, oh, about 12 hours. Then they take a big forklift, raise up this cage, and then drop it into a big ton of wort. And... Steam rises up, and it's a good time for all. <laughs> um, they have other festivities going on, too. Um, I was thought this would kind of be a small thing with a few beer nerds there, but there was a lot of people there. And they had food truck, and when you walked in, they gave you a ticket for a free can of Refresh Rattler, Ooh. which is their grapefruit Rattler. And so that was unexpected and great. Free beer, I guess free Rattler, technically, mm-hmm. and um, they had a live band, they had specials on their brews, 
And uh, they had explosions. That's always awesome. Uh, right before the stones were being dropped in, they have a little pond nearby, and all of a sudden this raft, which is floating on empty kegs, all of a sudden floats out onto this pond. And at first I'm like, is that somebody on there? And the brewmaster who was kind of emceeing the actual stone drop, I was like, oh, what's that over there? And he's like, oh, it's my evil doppelganger or something like that. I'm like, what is going on? And I, I had a camera and I zoomed in to that. And I'm like, oh, those are dummies. <laughs> He's like, we, we got to kill them. We got to kill these doppelgangers. And all of a sudden, boom, like a huge explosion goes off. And awesome. These dummies blow up and there's like fuzz all over the pond water, like stuffing. But not blood and guts, gore style? No, it wasn't that detailed. Oh. And there was some people on top of the roof of the brewery who had little pyrotechnic cannons that mm. were also firing off during this thing and i was like totally caught off guard by all this striking yeah it was very um making more of this than it needed to be like uh go bigger you go home exactly yes so yeah after that little explosion on the pond then they dropped the stones in which again you can see on the youtube channel of that actually happening when they drop them in he's like be careful these things have been known to crack and blow up or something like that mm-hmm. and then they fired off pyro right as they dropped them in and so it was like wham <laughs> but the actual stones themselves really didn't do much it just huge gush of steam came mm-hmm. off the boil and uh that was that so that's kind of awesome very interesting event very unexpected in many ways with explosions and free beer and an odd main event but very entertaining all around, nonetheless. So it's money in the bank. Explosions, <laughs> yeah, so. weird main event. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you had to compare it to a pay-per-view, yeah, wrestling yeah. pay-per-view. It's true. Uh, Michael, I have a podcast pitch for you. Oh, okay. So I- I'm going somewhere with this, so stick with me. I have been complaining about movies in these past few weeks. Yes. Okay. Uh, I've, I've, I've spent a decent amount of time moaning about the seeming lack of originality um, as of this moment right now, there's tw- so there's 12 screens at my local multiplex. Mm-hmm. There's eight movies playing on those 12 screens. Okay. Six of those eight movies are sequels. Okay, yes. One is based on a Pepsi commercial. Wait, what? What movie is that? Uncle Drew. Oh, I don't know anything about that. It is uh, basically Jen of the show's dream movie. It's a bunch of 90s basketball players in old man makeup. And they're like, oh, we got to get the old guys back together to beat the young bucks to save the ski lodge. Or some, I don't know. Something like that. It, okay. it looks not for me. I'm not going to say okay. it looks bad. It looks not for me. Um, but it's basically like Kyrie Irving, Shaq, maybe Barkley or Steph Curry. I don't know. There's a lot okay. of people in it. Nick Kroll plays the token white guy. And the eighth movie is Tag. Oh, yeah. I've kind of heard about which, that. Uh, fascinating because Jeremy Renner's arms were CGI'd in that movie. Because he broke both of his arms on, like, the third day of filming. Oh, my God. So he has green casts on, and they CGI'd his arms in the entire movie. That's impressive. I know, right? But I don't really need to see that. It looks like a red box special, basically. Oh, okay. Um, it's like the Superman lip. Except not as egregious. Apparently, you can't notice <laughs> okay. it. I have a coworker okay. who saw the movie and is like, wait, what? Really? That's terrifying. But uh, So the, the podcast that I have to kind of correct this is a, a double. Uh, one of them is The Return of You Must Remember This, which is a podcast by a writer in California who focuses on the 
the lesser known or forgotten stories from the first century of movies. So basically, you know, 1900 to 2000, basically. Okay. And in previous seasons, each season will focus on a specific topic like Howard Hughes in Hollywood. And there's like a ton of great episodes on that. This one is about fact-checking Kenneth Anger, a Hollywood writer. He wrote a book called Hollywood Babble On. Not that Hollywood Babble On, Michael, but okay, uh, like The Tower. And it's it's basically like a whole bunch of scandals that happen. They're like, oh, this lady committed suicide. This guy was cheating on his wife. Oh, he was a smack addict, and so on and so forth. And so basically each episode in this season of which there are two so far, will focus on a different part of this book and just basically discounting or confirming it through independent research. Hmm. And so far, there has been the one I listened to today. It's basically the first untimely Hollywood death and oh, okay. whether or not it was actually a suicide or she was just hammered and drank cleaning solution or so on and so forth. Karina, the creator slash maker of it, does a much better job of explaining it than I do. Sure. And sure. if you're fascinated by like lurid Hollywood content or just Hollywood stories in general, I highly, highly recommend it. The other podcast is Unspooled, featuring How Did This Get Made's Paul Shear. I've heard promos for this, and I'm, I almost question its legitimacy because I know Paul Shear has done some <laughs> purportedly serious podcasts that turn out to be a little gag, but um, I'm assuming this one's legit. This is not a gag. I've I'm, I have caught up on this. It is, it is not a gag. So basically the conceit of the podcast is that he and the Canon co-host, Amy Nicholson, who used to write for The Dissolve, I think. I'm not sure. She writes for someone, Vulture maybe. She does a podcast called The Canon, wherein they discuss whether a movie needs to be in like the canon of great movies, where great is ill-defined. Canon with one N. Correct. It, uh, it featured the disgraced movie critic who got Me Too'd before Me Too was a thing. It, it's a whole unsavory thing, but I'm glad Amy is back on another podcast with a guy who's almost certainly not oh, going to... Oh, God. Get... Yeah. Sorry, I just I remember something about that on that podcast now. So yeah, anyways, it's bad. I'm not going to talk about it. Um, okay. Basically, so what they do is these two go through the AFI Top 100 list of movies. They start with Citizen Kane, they go to Ben-Hur... And then after that, they roll a 100-sided die to figure out where they go next. Nice. And so they go through it, they watch a movie, uh, and then they talk about it. And it's very, very fascinating. It's only like six or seven movies in, but it's given me a lot to think about, and it's made me want to rewatch a whole pile of movies. So with with the complaining about movies, you know, I the only thing I dislike more than an apparent lack of original ideas is complaining aimlessly. So I'm okay. gonna I'm, so I'm gonna do something to rectify this, Michael. Uh, okay. To me, the most original ideas come from a lack of resources when you're making a movie. So, oh, uh, so you have to be innovative. Exactly. So Peter Jackson in his early movies. Oh yes. The ones okay. where he had like puppets doing all manner of foul things, or uh, Dead Alive. You know, usually it's horror movies, but I wanna I wanna talk to you about exploitation movies, Michael. Okay. When I say the phrase exploitation film, what comes to your mind? Like, what do you think it is? Uh, Blackula? That is an exploitation film. I guess I don't know the true definition, but I would say a film that takes a gimmick or a target audience and takes that subject into a, a degree, a manner that would 
try to, I, I want to say exploit, but that's not right. Uh, take advantage of that to get sales without really paying any reverence to the subject matter at hand. Ooh, is that anything close? It's actually surprisingly close. I'm kind of proud of you right now, Michael. Okay. <laughs> it's really hard to find a good definition of an exploitation film, so I'm just going to read off what Wikipedia has. Because, eh, you can check me on this if you want. Okay. Um, an exploitation film is a film that attempts to succeed financially by exploiting current trends, niche genres, or lurid content. Exploitation films are generally low-quality B-movies. They sometimes attack critical attention and cult followings. Some of these films, such as Night of the Living Dead, 1968, set mm -hmm. trends and become historically important. Now, I've had a, uh, a fascination with this sort of movies, but you kind of have to wade through a lot of crap to get to the good ones. Oh, I'm sure there's just so many... It's, it's because, I mean, like like you said, they're, they're trying to exploit, you know, current trends. Um... I think the most successful modern version of an exploitation film is the so-called Christploitation of the past oh. few years. So I give you God's Not Dead. Oh, I, those kind of. I yeah, uh, The Passion of the Christ is the big one. I thought you were going to say that movie where uh, Jason Statham has to go around and uh, shock himself and stuff like that. What's that movie called? That is not a Christploitation movie. Well, I, yeah, that I is Christ that. 2 colon high voltage. Is that exploitation? I, would you, say? you know, I was wondering about that earlier because it definitely has the DNA of an exploitation movie. But that's more of an original idea too. True. true not necessarily but, going off a current trend or anything. But. True, but I mean, Night of the Living Dead was an original idea in 1968. Yeah. So I think a lot of these are original ideas. They're just they also just have to be done in a way that you get every cent out of your dollar. For the life of me, I can't figure out what Crank was exploiting. Um, <laughs> Electricity. So I don't really have an endpoint for this, Michael. But okay. but I want to give you some exploitation movies that I really really like, and hopefully you know I can give the. Uh, the audience something to look into if it sounds good. So this is your corollary to the podcast pitch. Yes. Drive Angry. Did you hear about this movie, Michael? I heard about it on t spinning the tables on you, Jeremy. My own podcast pitch, a podcast called The Flop House. Oh, oh that makes me... I know that this was a flop because I looked up the numbers, but it makes me so sad because that movie rules. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they were how crazy it was they uh they loved it you know of course it's cage so it's it's basically ghost rider but awesome yeah it's not trying to make some greater point like hereditary right like, it's, it's a horror movie about you know grief or the babadook about postpartum depression yada 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 showgirls oh okay that's yeah, an exploitation that's... movie it's it's exploiting the you know the uh the skin yeah that's an it's an absurd movie. It was it cost forty five million dollars to make and only brought in twenty point three million dollars. Um, there's no redeeming quality to it. It's just I guess shock for the sake of shock. And isn't it pretty badly written too? Isn't like the just like it's like pretty ham fisted as far as the dialogue and stuff. It goes for it. It's it's a fun movie. It's not a good movie, but it <laughs> is fun. It's an enjoyable watch. Some of my favorites from recent years though. Hobo with a shotgun is the king, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. It's exactly what it says it is. 
It's it's Rutger Hauer of Blade Runner fame with a shotgun as a hobo. As the title would suggest. I know I said we need to watch Phantasm when you're down here next. We might have to double feature it with Hobo with a shotgun. Okay. It's, it's pretty fun. There. These are some good examples of movies that, you know, use originality. Whether or not they're good, mm, that's, <laughs> right. that's in the eye of the beholder. But I wanted to show you and the audience that I am not just complaining and that there are original things out there that you're not going to see anywhere else. So go search them out. Or use those two podcasts to help you find them. You might not find any of the exploitation movies on there, but I do recommend Unspooled quite a bit. There you go. Mm-hmm. But, Michael, I feel like I've been yammering for a while, and I'm rather parched. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, we have something for that. It's time for the FDR, Michael. What in the world is the FDR? FDR is where we find a beer, we drink a beer, and then we rate that beer. Jeremy, I have secretly been excited for this one for a long time. It's kind of been sitting in our yes. back burner for a while. What is it? This is from Millstream Brewing Company in Amana, Iowa. This is Raspberry Latte Stout. Yes. This one is apparently only available February to March. So, yes, <laughs> it has been. I just saw that. <laughs> so we're way off base here, but, you know, we've kind of had enough of the summer beer, so we're just going to completely... We're going into the snow. Go off the rails. Yeah, it's actually too hot here, so we need to uh, yeah. oh my remember God. winter. It is disgusting. But here is the flavor text from, no pun intended, from Millstream <laughs> Brewing Company. What do you get when you infuse raspberries and co- They spelled raspberries wrong. And coffee <laughs> beans into a rich milk stout beer. A raspberry latte stout, of course. This dark brew is a combination of deep roasted coffee, a rich milk stout, and raspberries to top it off. The locally roasted coffee beans are from the Iowa Coffee Roasters and are roasted right up the street from Millstream Brewery in Cedar Rapids. I thought they were in the Amanas. Using After using 25 pounds of coffee beans to create the roasty character, it is then fermented with 170 pounds of raspberry puree. One word. Yeah, to add a touch of unique flavor to this smooth brew. The malts are two-row brewers, wheat, chocolate, Munich 20L, black roasted and special roasted, which is... Seems a lot. Ah, that's quite a few varieties there. We've got Millennium and Mount Hood. The aforementioned adjuncts comes in at an ABV of 7.6, 50 IBUs. I looked into the hops, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. And so Millennium is a bittering hop, huge alpha acids, 155 to 18.5% alpha acid, which is a lot. That's a lot. That's like two to three times more than your average hop. So that I'm assuming that's going to give it the bitter finish that I'm presuming this has because this is in there. Um, also noted to be floral, fruity, and herbal. Mm-hmm. But if it's used for bittering, maybe not so much of those will poke through. The only other time I've heard of uh, Millennium Hops is in Toppling Goliath's oh, yeah. since-renamed beer, Millennium Falconer. They, uh, yes. they got a cease and desist about that one. I believe it's called Lightspeed now. Oh, yeah, that's right, right. They uh they gotta be careful. They had to yeah, they uh, do. <laughs> partner with for pseudo Sioux, partner up with the science museum there that mm-hmm. has Sioux. Mount Hood is an aroma hop, spicy and herbal. Ooh. Um and just for sake of comparison, it's four to six point five percent alpha acid. Alpha acids are what generally drive bitterness in mm-hmm. hops. Just FYI. And uh similarities to German Hallertau and German Herzbrucker. 
So <laughs> I assume that's how you say that. I, I mean, I'm assuming so. It's just. It's Braca. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, so those are the hops that are in there. I have high hopes for this one because all the flavors that are purported to be in there are very appealing to me. So let us open it. If all I right. Can find my opener. Oh, here's Ray Cerveza coming through in the clutch. Here we go. It's still carbonated. Michael, what kind of glass are you using? I just went for the official American Pale Males glass. <laughs> Can glass. Can glass. Not found in a store near you. Whoa. This smells like ice cream. Oh, yeah, it does. Like a chocolate with raspberry or a raspberry with chocolate, one of the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that it's probably just a inherent bias, but it, it smells milky. Not like yes. it, not like in a sour milky way, but it, like you can smell that sweet, like kind of creamy. Yeah, yeah. Got a the hell of a head on it. Yeah, I'm actually wrangling with that right now. Really big uh, bubbles in this. It looks like a uh, a barren moonscape. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Much like that of uh, parts of 2001: A Space Odyssey, as featured on a recent episode of Unspooled. There you go, bringing it together. Yeah, I can't really... We talked about the nose already, I guess, the ice cream. Can't really go in for a sip, though, because it's just kind of foamy in my glass. What glass are you using, Jeremy? I'm using an Imperial uh, Stout pint glass. Or the the uh, the Guinness-style glass with the fat neck. Um, This is delicious, Michael. You went in. I did. Excellent. I can go in now. The foam has diminished. All right, go for it. This is interesting because mm. it's 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 uh, it features that sweetness that you would get from like chocolatey. I mean, it, I don't. It's hard to describe. You get the sweetness from the raspberries at the very end, and what I'm assuming is the lactose and the milk stout. Yes, the flavors meld together very well. Yeah, they do. You taste everything, but nothing really spikes too much at any point. It's a really smooth transition between flavors across the tongue. It's- um, it's not um, cloying in that no. way. No. Like a lot of milk stouts, it's a little sweet on the aftertaste. It is on the sweeter side, yeah. And I believe you said you, you're you not a fan of that. I'm not. I can, I'm kind of impartial, so. This one is, I think, is fine because it's intended to be. Right. And, and, but then, you know, it's just like, I guess every milk stout is intended to be because it has lactose in it. What is your take on the coffee flavor? Because I'm, I'm liking this coffee in there. I think it's countered well by the sweetness, but you might have a different uh, want from your coffee flavors and beers. Are you a, uh, a coffee drinker, Michael? I am not, but I do like coffee. Okay. And I like it usually black. Do you like it um, dark? Like a yes. dark roast? Yes. Okay. I'm not getting a ton of coffee in this one. What coffee I am getting is blending on really well with those ten, right. mil- 10 million malts that we rattled off earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hard to t- it doesn't pop out like a a wake up Iowa coffee stout. Or right, a, it's not a coffee showcase. No, definitely, definitely not. Um, it's it's very much a. Uh, I I mean I guess it tastes like a raspberry latte for lack of a better word. <laughs> they did. A, I mean the they put it right there on Front Street. They they say what they're going for and. I think largely they nail it. Yeah, definitely. I was expecting it to be a little more raspberry flavor, but um, the way they present it here is actually better than what I expected. Yeah, it's it's not like a, hey, this beer has raspberries in it sort of beer. It's just sort of... A nice 
tickle of raspberries. It's a good way of putting it. <laughs> you know, it's not a coffee stout, it's a mm. latte stout, so you expect some of the milk stout features to be there too. And they, so, they are there. So I think they, for me, they nailed where the coffee should be with this one, with the other flavors. Like I said, I nothing agree. is peeking out too much that's destroying the other flavors. They're all kind of there uh, in equal proportions that they need to be. My biggest problem with this beer is the just that sheeting of sweetness that just kind of hangs over it at the end. <laughs> right. As you were saying that, I was kind of like rubbing my tongue on my palate and it's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's like slick. <laughs> it's a characteristic of milk stouts. I mean, I think some of them can hide it a little bit better than this one can, but that doesn't mean that this is bad. I do like this beer a lot. It's just a problem that I have with the style itself. You're right. Yes, yes. What else is there to say? Is there anything you would do to improve it, Jeremy? Or like, not to improve it, but to take it in a direction more to your liking. I would dry it out. Take down some of that sweetness. Yeah. I guess technically it wouldn't be a latte then. Right. Because if they dried it out, it wouldn't have that milky sweetness on it. But it's it's hard. You just find it more to your suitability. Just Yeah. You know, failing that, if they were going to keep it a milk stout... I would want them to up the coffee. Just do something to bitter up that. Distract from that sweetness a little more. Very much so. I could see that. This is still good, though. This is still really good beer. Um, I feel like we're not... I don't know why I feel like we're not doing it justice, though. Right, yeah. A lot of times we say the... What is it? The sum is not equal to the parts (laughs) parts <laughs> how, how can i say that elegantly i totally there's an expression in this case the, i think the sum is more than the parts just how they come together yeah because at least for me because that sweetness doesn't bother me maybe as much but um, mm-hmm. like i said when it's going above and beyond expectations ex- expecting something a little more ham-fisted a little more cloying but really it's staying true to the stout style nice beerosity mm-hmm. With giving the other promised flavors, coffee, milk, and raspberry. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it, it it is chocolatey too. That's true. Yeah, the the chocolate malts are also poking through. Yeah. This is one quarter portion chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> but that said, this is a good beer. My my only problem with it is the the problem that I have with the style. Yeah. So, should we get into the ranking? Yeah, or rating even. If you want to rank it, you can. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Michael, go first. I'm having trouble with this one. Okay. And I think you'll be able to kind of swing the pendulum based on my rating. Let me just go in for a quick SOJ here. Yeah, it's exceeding my expectation. Um, Even drinking it as it warms up and as um, my palate becomes accustomed to the flavors and the hops, it still is really good. Um, I usually shy away from dark beers, but... I think this one's a good example of mm-hmm. one that can deliver. And I w- would not mind trying this again. It's a shame it's a limited edition in February and March only. This is also seems like it might be a milk is a bad choice beer if it was <laughs> like we weren't both sitting in air conditioning right now. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in true American Pale Males fashion, we're five months out late. of season. Yeah, <laughs> deal with it. As Michael drops the glasses on. I'm not waiting till February to have it again, or whatever. Well, no, you are waiting. Yeah, okay, you are waiting till February to have it again. again, But 
<laughs> um, but to have it on the show, no way. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to give it a 4.25. I quite enjoy this one. And um, to like a straight-up stout is just kind of boring to me. And I think the little spins that they put on it here um, really do it justice and uh, complement the style very well. So I like it. Jeremy. Good. Because I'm going to give it the same rating as you did. 4.25. Whoa! Um, which... I did not expect that. Yeah, me neither. Um, so, I mean, that should really speak to this beer's strengths. The fact that my most disliked of all stout styles... Is coming through in the clutch? It's it's coming through. Uh, Millstream is an underrated brewery in the... Uh, in the local scene, I guess. I don't know what you call it. They were one of the first ones in Iowa, too. They, I believe they were the first one in Iowa. All I remember is, like, when I was going to bars. So this would be, like, my junior year of college then. Millstream was very prominent, and there was widely distributed craft beers, but Millstream was the only Iowa craft beer in those bars. So. Yeah, uh, formed in 1985. There you go, so... If not the first, maybe the first with good distribution around the state. Definitely. Um, and they make a really good heifer wisen because, you know, Iowa and cows and what have you. I believe when Council of the Show left to go to Nijmegen, Netherlands for a while, there was a keg of skill, shield, skilled brow. Mm-hmm. And I believe uh, not, not Skittlebrow. No, 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 no. Shield S C H I L D Brow. Okay. Uh, that was very good, but that night may be more notable for Knob of the show trying to put his phone into an oven. <laughs> I might have missed this night. Oh, so. you! I'm pretty sure you were there. Uh, oh. There, there was some sort of card game going on, and he uh, had a, a an open a solo cup of beer between his legs. And he asked for someone to throw him his phone, so we threw it to him, and it bounced off his stomach and banked right into the beer. And he stared at it for an uncomfortable <laughs> amount of time. Okay, this is coming back a little bit. Oh, okay, and he pu- he pulled it out, and then uh, it was I just... remember the hesitation like, <laughs> of how long the phone was in the beer before he got it. It was just like long enough for us to be like, "Are you going to take it out of there?" Like, I mean, come on, and. <laughs> And then I uh, I distinctly remember them being like, no, you need to put it in rice. No, you need to wash it off. No, you need to put it in the oven. And they decided to try to put it on a paper plate in an oven. <laughs> uh, thankfully, that had the kibosh put on it. And I don't remember if his phone was okay. <laughs> but enough reminiscing. Michael, how about you yes. hit us up with the uh, social media plugs? Yeah. You can check us out in a variety of places. You can do so on Twitter and Facebook at APM Pod there. Also, APM Pod, or maybe it's just American Pale Males on YouTube, check out that video of the depth charge. Oh, yeah, uh, go for it. I don't think any other brewery does anything like that, at least not in such a public manner, so it's kind of an interesting spectacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, untapped as well, APM Pod there, where co-ho- excuse me, former co-host of the show, Mike, uh, what, are we, what are his titles? Um, Tom Bombadil. Uh, Keeper of the Keeper kegs. Of the Untapped. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, host Emeritus. That's the one I was there looking for. Keeps up with our ratings there. APMPod at gmail.com if you want to get in touch directly. Directly? Whatever. Eh, whatever. Subscribe, rate, review, and yeah, that's that. So for Jeremy, I've been Michael. For Michael, I've been Jeremy. And this has been American Pale Males. Cheers. Cheers! <laughs>